Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. <laughs> Dr. LaJoyce Brookshire here every Wednesday for a new episode to help you live a healthy, wealthy life. Connect on social media and send in your questions. Hey there, it's Wellness Wednesday. I'm Dr. LaJoyce Brookshire and welcome to Ask the Good Doctor. I am here to help you attain, maintain, and reclaim your perfect health. Please join me on Twitter at Ask the Good Doc, on Instagram and Facebook at Ask the Good Doctor. Jump on into this conversation. We got a goodie for you today. Here with me is my wonderful sister. She is Davina Bailey, and we affectionately call her D. She is the Chief Operating Officer of the American African American Clergy and Elected Officials Coalition. They're known as the AACEO. She is also the founder of the Watchful Eye Organization. Welcome, Dee, my sister. You, my dear, dear Dr. LaJoyce. <laughs> I am so happy to have you here today. We have a lot of things to talk about regarding health disparities amongst our people. Let's get to it. So, I want to first talk about Watchful Eye okay, and what kind of organization it is and why you found it necessary to create it. Well, as you know, my dear sister, we worked together for the National Black Leadership Commission on AIDS during yes, the time of the epidemic. And taking that work and understanding that work and how important it was for me and for us, we worked hard with Deborah Fraser Howes, the founder of Blacker, and she, Calvin Obutz, God bless his memory, they incorporated me to be able to travel and spread the word about HIV and AIDS and getting the Black community involved and taking a lead in making sure that we addressed HIV and AIDS in all countries everywhere. And through that work, it allowed me to get firsthand, firsthand knowledge of where Black folks were in terms of addressing HIV and AIDS. And during that time, as you know, LaJoyce, and I'm giving you the history because it's important to understand how I got with um, During that time, people were not ready, particularly our clergy and leaders of the community, they weren't ready to address a full uh, speed on what was going on in the Black community. They knew people were dying, but they really wasn't accepting of the fact that it was HIV and AIDS that was going on. Now, fast forward, I did that work. I was the affiliate director for New York State. Uh, Mrs. Howes and Reverend Butts, they just 
absolutely let me get out there and fly my wings uh, with my union history. I knew how to interact with leadership. Mm -hmm. And so we began to move around New York State from Buffalo to Brooklyn. That's the way the work went. And I was in charge of just making sure that I met with the leadership uh, as much as we could to get other leaders involved. And therefore, those were called affiliates. Now, that being said, I took myself uh, at a later date. Things happened. We moved around. And I recognized that at that time, when I started Watchful Eye, Brooklyn was the epicenter of New York City. We had more cases in Brooklyn alone than some small states. That's how people were infected and affected by HIV and AIDS. That being said, the legislators from Brooklyn said, you know, Dee, uh, we hear you and we know, but we needed a organization to concentrate specifically on Brooklyn. And that's where I'm from, born and bred in Brooklyn. And therefore, I decided, you know what? I can appreciate what everybody is doing all around the state, all around the country. But Brooklyn needed my attention. It needed somebody to look at what was going on in Brooklyn, to work with the elected officials in Brooklyn to make sure that we directed that, as everybody knows, Brooklyn is the borough of churches, more than 4,000 churches in Brooklyn. So therefore, if I meet with some stakeholders, I needed to concentrate on that. So Watchful Eye uh, was opened back April 2009 and well accepted by everyone because everybody had knew me. I had I had worked at the Bedside Family Health Center in the past under uh, Dr. Monica Sweeney. I was her outreach director. I did everything I could to always talk about health, but I wanted to specifically concentrate on HIV and AIDS education and prevention. And thus, the founder of Watchful Eye, that's what happened. I love the story. You know, you speak about the um, the politicians yes, and having relationship with them. Yes. What's interesting is that in this healthcare space and working in healthcare and understanding that on a policy level that you must be involved with legislation and legislators. And to some people that seems unbelievable to, to know that health policies or health issues are dealt with on a political level. Can you speak to that, please? Oh, absolutely. There is nothing, no issue of any kind that does that you don't have to involve the legislators. If you want to declare, for instance, our good, good beloved Assemblyman Al Van, God rest his soul, he just passed away last year. But our Assemblyman, declared in 1991, along with Mrs. Howes and others, a state of emergency, a state mm -hmm. of emergency in healthcare to combat HIV and AIDS. Now, what does that mean? Well, when you, when you declare a state of emergency from a political thing, that means money has to be directed in the, to, 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 to address that emergency. That means laws and different things have to be uh, defined so that you know, when you make legislation, something's got to happen behind it. You know, you just don't make a policy and it sits there. Once you declare and do those kinds of things, then uh, 
initiatives have to be developed. Programs have to be developed. The AIDS Institute and everybody else was formally uh, created because this, we had a problem. People were dying. We're yeah, not, not big time. We're not talking about people just laying around in some cases. We were talking about a disease that nobody particularly accepted and nobody wanted to even say that the person died from it. That's just how bad it was. But there was no money to do prevention and education and all that. That comes from your legislators. That comes from, from the people who say, yes, it is a problem and it does need to be addressed and we have to do something about it. So one of the major things that I was a part of with the Black Leadership Commission on AIDS together with the Latino Commission on AIDS in the New York City Department of Health, we worked along with the New York City Council on an mm -hmm. And we just celebrated 20 years of the HIV and AIDS Faith Initiative. And what does that mean? That means every year HIV and AIDS is a part of the New York City Council budget. Every year. Never been cut, never been thought about cutting it because the New York City Council has, and we're thankful for them, keep HIV and AIDS in the forefront of what they're doing. And we work with them all year, not just when it's budget time. Um, as a matter of fact, Crystal Hudson, one of the new council uh, uh, members, she was the secretary in uh, or, or assistant in Lori Cumbo, who was a past council member who went on to be a uh, minority leader uh, in the council. But one of them, Crystal Hudson, she every year as a staff person, helped and understood and met with us to make sure that Lori, who was in the lead of the HIV and AIDS fight for the council, she met with us. When she got to be a council person, what did she do? Put HIV and AIDS right in the forefront of her movement and joined other council members. But I say that to say legislators are key. Making sure your elected officials are kept up to, up to speed not just you doing your job and not saying anything to them. Mm -hmm. So CEO and me as chief of operations for that organization, it allows me to make sure HIV and AIDS is, is always in the forefront. Like this weekend, as we're getting ready for National Black AIDS, HIV AIDS Awareness Day is not just for people in the fight or advocates in the fight. It's for everybody. It's a great yeah, right. for everyone to take part in making sure that HIV and AIDS is still being addressed and people still understand that while we have come a long way, there still is no cure for HIV and AIDS and therefore people are still getting infected. Dee, I'm so glad you are here, which is why I wanted to have you because I know that National Black HIV Awareness Day, it needs to be a daggone week or month or something. It needs to be continuous because I'm telling you, I personally know people who don't think that HIV and AIDS is still a thing, D. I know. And that's a problem. I'm telling you, I do not understand the silence. Well, I tell you what it is, is unfortunately, and I know you're the media and I love it, but the media has a way of kind of dictating what people want to address. Some mm -hmm. say we are people continue to let the media say what's important and what's not. I'll give you a prime example. When COVID struck and I lost my dear sister, my sister was sick one day and she oh. was gone. 
And she told me she had a headache and she just didn't feel really well. And she laid there and the next day she was gone. But that being said, people didn't know what COVID was either. People didn't understand what was happening. All they knew is that people were dying. Yeah. People were dying when they came out with a vaccine. People didn't want to get vaccinated because they didn't first understand what COVID was. So, you know, they were, oh, no, I'm not going to be a guinea pig and so forth and so on. But guess what? The government did. The government said to me and to others, you guys have been addressing HIV and AIDS for 30, 30 odd years. Who better to put out there to be advocates than the people who are still doing work in HIV and AIDS. They came to us very humbling and said, the people who are doing HIV and AIDS advocacy know very well how to address and convince people to deal with the unknown, the unknown factor, which was COVID-19. And so our attorney general, Tish James, who's also from Brooklyn, she gathered folks together and she worked with Pfizer and those people, and they came to a big church, and she contacted every stakeholder, every elected official she had, and all of the AIDS advocates. We came uh, to that church, and we sat down and we listened, and they asked us, how do we get into the community to address this and encourage people to get vaccinated? Vaccination would save lives. And the more people to get vaccinated, the more people who understood what COVID-19 was, the more people that we could we could uh, uh, get involved and spread the word. So, of course, where was that? Our clergy, our churches. Getting those people involved was key. Once again, just like HIV and AIDS, we start with community. We start inside. Where can we talk to a little bit of everybody all at one time. And therefore, we started the COVID-19 vaccination program. That makes sense. That makes sense in terms of doing that on a grassroots basis for the people who who felt the need to be vaccinated. And then, you know, there are a group of people who don't didn't feel that it was necessary to vaccinate. But those are the people who don't want to get vaccinated of anything of any That's kind right. at all. And they nothing was going to change their minds. Let me just say for the record, I'm one of them. Okay. So I okay. will tell you this, though. One of the things that dis, was much to my dismay, D, during this entire period, and I had a conversation with Deborah about it. I said, I didn't understand why no one was talking about how COVID is sexually transmissible. That I, I just I just didn't understand it. If we could get it from a droplet of spit, certainly it could come from semen. Well, I don't. I, what, what do you think? I I tell you that the because of the urgency, I don't think people were into the research part of it. Yes. I think they were addressing the dynamic of COVID, but it wasn't like HIV and AIDS where you can, uh, look, get into it with Dr. Fauci, can just do his thing with the national, uh, with the NIH and all these people. It wasn't like that. 
People were in morgues. People were in makeshift morgues. They were dealing with death in its grandest form. Something none of these people, if you're under 150 or 200 years old, have ever experienced to see masses of people just dying. You know what I say, D? I say this is the reason why we need all of the people who intend to help heal. We need holistic, we need medical, we need Ayurvedic, we yeah. need everything. And then together we can heal the masses because no one group of people can think of it all. That's right. And LaJoyce, that's why I say at Watchful Eye, everybody, everybody has a say. Everybody has a work, work to be done. You can lend yourself in the smallest way. I'll give you another example about how we reacted to COVID. I will never forget, it was inauguration day for Joe Biden, January. Mm. And we had seniors, and I don't know if you remember this day, but it was super cold. It was cold. And we incorporated the New York Police Department, Community Affairs, and under Chief Madry, he sent buses to pick up seniors to take them to get vaccinated at the hospitals. And the hospitals, remember, social distancing, remember, all of this is in play. So we're taking people, we're putting masks on them. We're, and they had this tedious little thing called a computer setup that these senior people had to fill out, you know, tap on this little machine oh, here. Well, guess what? How? The police department did it. Oh, they right. escorted those seniors off that bus and walked in, starting with the chief, walked those seniors in and filled out their paperwork with them and Good. walked them to the back to get them vaccinated, got them vaccinated, let them wait around for a little while and put them back on the buses and took them back to their homes. And that went on for weeks, every day, for weeks, under our leadership. So they understood that we knew how to reach people. Every Sunday, Saturday, I was out there in the churches, hitting the churches, talking about HIV and AIDS always, always giving out the red ribbon, always, because HIV and AIDS is an everyday agenda for, for, for us. Absolutely. Now, no going on. The, the latest stats, the surveillance report from 2022, it, like you say, until it says zero, this work is never done. Right. That, 1,624 people were newly diagnosed in 2022, 43% of the newly diagnosed people were Black, and 40% were Latino and Hispanic. Let's add that up. 83% were Black and brown of the new diagnosis. This is still the thing. And I, I know it was you who told me a while back that every week there are girls 13 Yes. The girls between 13. Can you give that statistic, please? Yes. Every Well, the, I, I, I don't have it like right at the moment, but I can tell you overall. Overall. Every week, girls uh, 13 and over were coming in to get tested because they were having sex. They were having sex. As a matter of fact, the health center uh, was opening up their doors early 
because these girls were able to get tested for HIV and AIDS before going to school. And when I was counseling them, I was allowing them to bring their little so-called boyfriends that they had sex with because I would convince them before y'all uh, uh, exchange and have another kiss, convince him to okay. come to me at seven o'clock in the morning. And Dr. Sweeney was actually the one helping me and allowing me to use the center and use the lab folks and everybody else to get these these young girls tested. And no, because the law says that once you're over 12 years old, a young person can seek medical care on their uh, on their own. So we didn't oh. need the parents' permission to do this. We didn't do anything undercover. We were covered. If that young person wanted to be tested for HIV and AIDS and counseled, we were able to do that. And a lot of those programs, unfortunately, have been defunded. You know what I mean? And so we're not able to keep that up in terms of that. But we need to revisit. I keep telling everybody in 2024, I want to go back to basics. And I'm so glad to start this new year with you in January because this is the kind of activity we need to regenerate and let the next generation remember this is almost three generations now since this epidemic and it's not over. people are still not saying that they died from complications from hiv and aids still not funeral homes are still churches are still i hate to say it discriminating about hiv and aids now we've done a lot of work and i commend all of the faith leaders who developed their ministries and did what they needed to do but that fight is not over as a woman who was affected by hiv because for those of you who don't know my first husband married me knowing he had full-blown aids and did not tell me and thank god praises be to God, that I am HIV negative. And it's what the interesting thing is that the people like me who were right in the center of this thing as it's going down, because we are talking 1990. And so when I wrote my book, Faith Under Fire, Betrayed by a Thing Called Love, pick up a copy. And then at the back of it, when I have those 200 questions, Yes. It's important for you to ask questions. Like she Dee just said, before these girls shared another kiss with that boy, come in here and let's get tested. And I came up with the saying, before you swap spit, swap information. Right. No, no ring, no thing, no covenant, no coochie. And I heard a pastor say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we need to get him to get him on the road again. Right? He said, no covenant, no coochie. I could have fell out the chair. Oh, my God. (laughs) But the point is that we need more information. We're not slinging enough information, but we're slinging a whole lot of other things. Yes. And that's problematic. Now, one of the things that I tell every young person I come in contact with is that when you are having sex and very much sexually active, the the best thing that could happen to you, you need to be glad that the only thing you are is pregnant. That's right. 
if, if that's the that's only thing that's wrong with you, you know, you and I got That's exactly correct. But honey, now these things that can come up on you, you keep, like Eddie Murphy said, you keep it forever like luggage. Well, like I told people what, during the COVID epidemic and while it was going on at, at its worst, I said, you know what? While you're getting yourself tested for COVID, ask them if they've got an HIV and AIDS, uh, if, if an HIV test for you to participate in. Now you have home versions. So it'll give you an idea. But I truly still believe that the blood test is the most important piece and tool that we can use. I'm not against these home remedies and this, this soul swap thing. I'm not against it. But I believe that even from back in the 90s, we understood that that was just an indicator. But you need to confirm your status. That means go let a phlebotomist take your blood and let's get the real deal. Because I'm sorry, I don't believe that the swab is the only means of, of that. That's said enough. Just like there are multiple pathways to healing, yes. there are multiple pathways to detect. Yes. And in my case, when they found out my husband had AIDS, and I'm not talking HIV, which is why I'm not saying HIV. He had right. full-blown AIDS with a T-cell count of four. Mm. You remember that, D? We were working yeah. together. Yes. And so, and here I am working at the National Black Leadership Commission on AIDS, D and all them. Y'all held, they held my hand, y'all. Held my hand. And the, they made me sweat it out because they took my blood and it took three weeks for it to come back. Back see, in the day. It was back then. That's what I'm trying it, to say. Yes. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I used to have to go and find people because the blood took two weeks to come back. Mm -hmm. And I pulled somebody off the street and brought them into the center to get tested. Now I've got to find that person because back then they didn't give you their real address. They didn't oh. give you a whole lot of things. A lot of things went into testing. Yes. And you have to find that person and let the Department of Health know that you found that person. It wasn't a thing where you just took the blood and said, okay, who's next? That wasn't us. Yeah, right. You're right. And I had and to post-counsel you because even if you had a negative status, I had to explain to you that that's what it is now. But you have to live a different lifestyle. You've got to stop taking chances. You've got to stop putting yourself out there because I don't expect for you to come back and get tested in three weeks again. Because that well, did something within a period of time, and now why are you back here again? Okay, you didn't have to tell me twice. Right. <laughs> it came to a screeching halt, <laughs> and because, and also because he was one who had very sensitive gums. That when he brushed his teeth, there was blood in his in his oh. saliva. Oh. I didn't. I didn't kiss him like that anymore. Okay. Because. I was like, and people were saying, oh, there are no statistics that show that through kissing that you could get HIV or anything like that. I was like, you know what? And it will not be determined that I am the one that it is found out on. Okay? Cancel that. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All bets are off on any of these theories because you know what, what, it, what causes it. Then tell me why there's no cure, LaJoyce. Girl, I, listen, all I know is I got on the grind in terms of if you ever thought I was a little rabbit back then, I mean, I made sure that my health was on par. And I'm here to tell all of you listening to anyone who will hear me, if you ever get that kind of scare in your life, you will stop doing anything that could place you in jeopardy, turn around and walk in the other direction. And I thank God for the blood of Jesus keeping me covered. But also I thank Thank the Lord for the discipline to have that. You know what? I thank God for the discipline because to maintain a healthy lifestyle that built up my immune system to the point that if I came in contact with that virus, which I did multiple times because we were married, when you come in contact with a virus, it won't come near you like a COVID, like the bird flu, like what a virus is a virus is a virus. That's right. and I'm telling you, I was in a um, training class with um, with uh, Lisa Nichols, and mm. she asked a question: If I gave your soul the mic, what would it say? And I said, tears popped out my face, and I said, I would say, "Thank you for the discipline." Okay. okay. The discipline to do it in spite of mm. the discipline to stay on the path of a wellness journey when people are talking about you and saying you a health nut, to stay on the path of, no, you know, I'm not going to stay up late tonight because I stayed up last night. Okay. Stay on the discipline of minimizing sweets and alcohol. That's a disciplined life that has served me well. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and I tell you something, I had a patient, I won't say her name because right now, she is part of the special unit at the White House. She guards the White House. But I will say this to her. I saw her when I went down to the Congressional Black Caucus. And I happened to see her. She knew I would be there. So she found a way. She contacted me. And she said to me, Miss D, I am so thankful to see you. She had heard about my sickness and all that. She says, I'm so thankful. She says, but I want to say something to you. This young lady had lost both her mother and her father to the AIDS virus. Oh, wow. She came in to see me as part, she was a teenager, as part of her counseling uh, session, uh, her bereavement counseling session, because she wanted to understand what really happened to her mom and dad. She was living <laughs> All this grief. She watched and took care of her mom until the lady took her last breath. And she was part of this teenage counseling thing that Dr. Sweeney had. But she tells me when I'm talking to her, she says, you want to know something I've never told you before? I said, what? She said, that pre-test counseling session that you gave me scared me so badly. She said that it wasn't until she got married that she had her first encounter with, with uh, sex. Okay. I, are you kidding me? She And because I knew what she where she was coming from, 
And when I did the session, she just wanted to understand as much as she could. It wasn't that she was worried about being infected at all, because she was really petrified. She understood sex and you know, that's where it was mostly transmitted. But that's all she knew because she was dealing with losing her mom and her dad to this virus. And she told me that she got so scared that that's what happened. And I thought that I, I was like, are you kidding me? She says, I am. Oh. Not. She says that I was a grown woman. When I got what? Okay. Well, you know what? That's why I am an advocate for students and health literacy. Because those are choices that we can make and we don't celebrate that choice enough. I, I tell you, I couldn't believe it because I know they do these very nice movies and tell you about, you know, abstaining from sex until you get married and things. And I hear about all of that. Literature. That doesn't mean I never believed it. But she actually told me that. And yeah. tell you, she says, but it was more out of the fear and what she had witnessed losing both her parents that way. And they had, you know, indulged in drugs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but she just wanted at that time to just abstain from everything because she wanted to be safe. I did. I 100%, I get it. Remember when we did the National Black Clergy event in Atlanta? Yes. Now talk about being connected. Dee knows so many politicians <laughs> nationwide. So we have all we have all of these major pastors. Every mega pastor in America, what black was there, and every major politician. This thing was. It took us a year to plan this so thing, plan. and we also had. So oh my God. We did. It was it was crazy. We also had Coretta Scott King there. She was our keynote. And so we're standing there and Miss Coretta is about to go up and she stands on the platform and she turns around and she looks at D and says, D. And D said, hi, Aunt Coretta. And we almost passed out. We like, Aunt Coretta. Speaking of could, we could have popped her in the head. Like, okay, we struggling doing all this. And you up here, are you call it Miss Coretta, Aunt Coretta? My dear sweet auntie, and as you know, uh, Dexter was a cousin of mine. I shed a little tear for my my oh, yeah. my cousin Dexter, who just passed away from prostate cancer. That's why I bring it up, yeah. I'm gonna make up, yeah. I'm gonna make my. Uh, but um, you know, it is important. First of all, through my union life, my father was what they called a body man for Dr. King. He was back then. Uh, not like now. We have these nice details and these cops to take care of all of our leadership and, and so forth. But my dad was uh, first Black Union uh, president of District 65 UAW. And back then, the unions lent their best people to assist in the South with Dr. King and his movement and what, what things things were going on with uh, Uncle Ralph Abernathy and all of those. Okay. Um, and and uh, I grew up being in that environment. And then I became a union uh, rep my own self and traveling aboard, but uh, 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 traveling around the country working as that and representing the underserved and the undervoiced, I will always uh, refer to them as, but people who were just working folks and trying to do the best they could. Now, Auntie Coretta was in my life ever since I was a little girl. And so... 
you know, since the movement and Yoki and I, Yolanda King, uh, we went to school together and we did everything together. We were the same age, exactly. And so it was just me and Yoki, Yoki and I, everywhere we did. And then we, we were the teenage girls and stuff and doing what we needed to do. But what it also afforded me was to see up close the interaction of working with leaders and leadership and so forth. So my father, God rest his soul, would always say, oh, she's destined. This is this is what she likes. I mean, that she knows how to interact. She knows how to conduct herself. Sometimes I was the only woman in the room sometimes, you know what I mean? And so women, and I always say women can do more than just be, you know, the assistant or the secretary. We can, yeah. we can. and we showed that. But Auntie Coretta was like that. She was very uh, uh, encouraging. And she would always, uh, uh, girl, with that little country accent, girl, go on and do what you do. And so when she found out that I was with the National Black Leadership Commission on AIDS, of course, she thought that was just awesome because nobody wanted to talk about it on a national scale. And I tell you, with all those leaders, T.D. Jakes and Reverend Buzzgar, rest his soul, and I, I can't tell you any long, I can't tell you all the people that- oh, yeah was gathered down in Atlanta, Georgia uh, for that. But it was a mass conversation and it was a national conversation that took us to where we were now. So that when Watchful Eye and In Blacker came into the room, everybody understood the purpose is to get our attention and get us involved in a real yeah. way. Not just as an event, not just as, oh, they're coming and they're going to make a presentation, but it no. was develop and give us your best leaders and let us begin to work with them on a right. month and you do what you need to do. And so that's how a number of the HIV ministries got involved, but not just that. It was leaders. It were everybody lending it. And the main thing was to follow the monies that were supposed to be directed to the communities of need. Not just, not to say that other communities weren't supposed to uh, get their share because they wrote the policies and you got it. You, you got to admit the white gay community were excellent. They were lawyers and they were people like that that were excellent at putting policy together to address their issue. And I always tell people, don't shun other people for doing what they needed to do because had it not been for the AIDS Institute and other people that developed these things, our poor little black people and people of color wouldn't have been anywhere on the scale in terms of rating HIV and AIDS. But we recognize that HIV and AIDS was affecting all people. And we were not the forgotten soul and we weren't going to be. So working with leadership is very, very important. And that's why my work right now as the chief of operations for the African-American clergy and elected officials is key. Because without those folks, the clergy and the electeds, together with community stakeholders, I don't know where we'd be, LaJoyce. I agree. I agree with that. And I know that you all are also addressing other health disparities yes. in our community, like prostate cancer that our dear brother Dexter died from at 62 years old. It's really, it's a shake your head moment that you know, how does this happen? Why don't we, why don't we have earlier detection? Why don't we do something? Why don't we operate more on a, on a, on a scale of prevention? Why is not prevention more addressed 
Right. Well, I'll tell you that Dr. Dexter McKenzie, who was also my uh, medical chair of the affiliate here in New York, he came to a meeting right in December around World AIDS Day. And I had him speak. Why did I have him speak? Because I, as I told you earlier, I had a triple bypass in April. And Dr. Dexter was the one who told me there was something wrong with my kidney. And I had him for a routine, routine care. Nothing. I didn't, you couldn't tell me anything was wrong with me. And he spent 45 minutes to an hour explaining what was going on with my kidney. And of course he recommended dialysis, which I fought to the, to the, to the, to the hilt because I have my own reasons for why I didn't want dialysis. Yeah. I didn't think of a life being in a chair for four hours, three times a week. I just couldn't wrap myself around, as you can see how I am. I can't wrap myself around that. And I just thought my life was over, to be honest. And with all that I healthcare, I just felt like that would be the end of me. Might as well retire and go sit down somewhere. So we fought it. But I say this to you. I had him, for World AIDS Day, make a presentation to everyone about health, because remember what I went through in 2023 was all new to me. There was nothing that I felt was wrong with me, but through testing, through routine testing of my heart, they came up with, listen, she's 90% blocked. She can get out this chair and fall out and die right on the street. And she'll be in those statistics that says, oh, I don't know what happened to her. She just fell out and she died. That yeah. I'm saying about prostate cancer and other things that could be going on. You must, yeah. and I tell everybody, it's more than just a yearly checkup when your birthday is coming. It's more than just hearing about somebody else because now there's a rush on, oh, let me go get tested. Or let me get my prostate looked out because Dexter King, Martin Luther King's son just died. Right. Right. But we have to stop being in reactionary mode Come on. with healthcare. We've got, right. we've got to understand, and take it from me, I understand better than anyone, you have to really take time for yourself, love yourself enough, and you're not that busy that you can't take time for yourself because I tell you, you will be out, and that's just the truth, because the body, the human body changes every single day. I've gone to lab tests twice a week, and they not get the same reading that they got on Tuesday. That's right. So I'm here to tell you, this is something that everybody should just take a lesson. They're already telling you by the time you're 40, you should have had your prostate checked out or you should right. be prostate checked out on a regular basis. Why are you now 60 years old and you've had a problem probably for the last 10 years, 20 years? And now you want a miracle and you want them to do whatever they can do. People have to learn that healthcare is every day. Being, being healthy is every day. Like you just talked about your diet, your change of life. I had to change my lifestyle because eating on the run and keeping myself going and I'm feeling all right. And I'm almost 70 years old, I'm proud to say. <laughs> but I am doing what I can now to preserve the fact that God saved my life. God kept me here for a reason. Because anybody who went through what I went through, I hate to tell you, within six months, okay. 
But God, I thank for all things, but people need to help themselves and they don't need to be unhealthy due to lack of taking time for yourself and getting yourself checked out. That's it. It is denial. And to quote Deborah Fraser Howes, who used to always say, denial is a river in Egypt and it is time it let my people go. Hey, hey, that's up. I'm telling you, it is time because just, uh, and we don't have time to get into it right now, but I will say some declarations have been made by me in terms of what you just stated in terms of making the time for yourself and that running into burning buildings is no longer my modus operandi. Okay. And okay. It, it, I've been doing that for a long time. You'll be a great historian, but guess what? You won't be here. You know? <laughs> and so it is now a priority. I went to a, a spa and languished there for seven hours. I went from room to room in those hot different rooms, the Malayan, the black room, black mud, green mud, uh, Himalayan salt, the cold room, the cold plunge, the hot plunge, the steam room. As I went from room to room, I very clearly heard God say, "Make rearrange your schedule, girl. Grasshopper, that's what you talk to me. Grasshopper, rearrange your schedule, and whatever you have to do with your budget, find it." That's exactly right. And you know what else? Your body does talk to you. You just have to talk to your body. And you know what? You don't really know your body talks to you until you stop doing the bad stuff because I think that people are really conditioned to feel badly. They're like, oh, I just have a headache. I get one every day at this time. Do you understand? Okay. Okay. I tell everybody that before I had the triple bypass, I do remember going down to the Capitol in Washington and, uh, not being able, I do remember one time I was not able to climb the Capitol steps to go up. Because mm. to go to when I got there, the Capitol Police said, "Oh, you can sit right here." I said, "Yeah, let everybody else go on up, go inside. I'm coming." And I do remember sitting down for about five minutes, not long, just to kind of catch my breath. So. After I had the triple bypass and everything else, they said, you don't remember being out of breath and feeling like you, you know. I said, you know, I remember one time, look, last month, I did feel that way. I said, but I had drove from New York to Washington, D.C., had to do an interview that morning and jumped in the car and needed to be in D.C. by four o'clock and all this kind of stuff. And so I attributed to me rushing and moving around and driving and so forth, never thinking that that was an indicator. Yes. It was an indicator, LaJoyce. But this is what I'm saying. We accredit different things to what's going on with our body instead of saying, you know what? When I get back to New York, I'm going to go and check out why I ran short of breath because I'm not a young person. I'm not supposed to be uh, just ignoring the fact that I really couldn't breathe for about five minutes. Mm. But I didn't do that. And I went on and I just happened to be, again, getting screened. And they told me, well, you have to go see a cardiologist. And I was like, okay. Thinking, okay, I'll just go and get my okay from the cardiologist and I'll be fine. Well, 
got there on that table and they looked up. They said, is your family in the waiting room at the oh. in New York Presbyterian? I said, sure they are. I'm saying, sure they are. Like, what's that about? They just drove me here. They says, oh, no, we have to speak to them. I said, about what? They said, we're calling in a thoracic surgeon. You've got to have an emergency triple bypass today, now. Okay? What? I said, what? Just like that. I'm like, what? And I'm feeling and talking the same way I am right now. Snakey. That's what I tell you. Your body, you have to really get into your body, Joyce. And I say to everybody, just preserve, preserve you. If God means for you to be here to 100 like my grandmother, and now my, my mother is 93 years old, I'm proud to say, and she's doing way better health-wise than I am, you know, but she's down in her comfort in North Carolina not worried about a thing. So, but I will say that there is lessons to be learned, and people, your, your show is very, very important. Because you're bringing the issues, you're discussing things right down in an easy manner. You don't mm -hmm. have to be a genius to get the points. And I love that. I love that about what you're doing. Because you have to be real and be realistic. People can't understand these medical terms. But if you say to somebody, listen, you want to be out of here? Or you want to go to the doctor and get some medicine and do what you need to do? Because that's about as simple as it goes. I always say that I have a way of uncomplicated, very complicated information. Okay. I think, I do believe that that is my gift. Okay. And so yeah. that's the way I do it. So, but you know what, thanks to the work that you have done in this industry and on the front lines that now at, at your routine doctor's appointments, your doctor will ask you, would you like an HIV screening? Yes. Yes. Well, just, I, I was so, I smiled so brightly when my doctor asked me when I went to my annual and I, I said, no, thank you. But thank you for asking. Yes. Yes. Isn't that, that's come a long way. And oh, absolutely. In New York City and, we, and, and across this country, no babies are born with HIV because it's mandatory. It's mandatory that the, the, the mothers get tested. So there's no such thing as, oh, poor little thing. She's struggling. She, you know, the baby came in. No, no, no. Not in New York City. and not in, oh, wow. Hey, the bottom line is we have come a long way. I would dare say that we've been working this hard for all of these years. But there's more work to be done. Because, again, the, the advice to anyone is to take care of yourself. Maintain your body like you maintain your car. You know, if the oil is bad, that car is not going to run long. That engine is going okay. down. Well, it's the same thing with your body. Right. Now, on Friday, you all are having a huge event. Yes. Tell us yes. about it. The African-American clergy and elected officials and Watchful Eye together will be having our National Black HIV AIDS Awareness Day and our Black History uh, program, which also includes us giving out our modern day heroes sashes. The African, the, the Kente cloth sashes, we do it every year and it is a wonderful time for us to come together and talk about HIV and AIDS, bring the doctors in, 
uh, to give us updates. Um, also, we have different different people. The hospitals are participating. One Brooklyn Health are participating, which consists of three hospitals right here in Brooklyn, three of the largest hospitals uh, here in Brooklyn. And we're all going to come together, share information continually, give people pounds of information to take back out to the community. But one special thing that we're going to do is we are going to salute our community affairs and our New York City Police Department because why are we doing that? Because mm. NYPD, a lot of people don't know, they do more than just patrol and arrest people. They have mm. been a part of the health care industry and what we've been trying to do. Everything that I have done, I was able to expand it because of the use of the New York City Police Department, whether they supply their buses, whether they bring the cops to assist, assist, as I just explained to you, when COVID-19 struck, how are we going to get all these seniors uh, uh, to the hospital? What are we going to do? It's freezing cold outside, but they need to get vaccinated. We have special uh, places set up to take them where they won't have to wait. How are we going to do all of that? And of course, our NYPD, Johnny on the spot, to do what we needed to do to help us. So we need to salute them on this time because they have been very active. My heart really blew up last year when one of the chiefs came to my meeting and he looked and patted his, his chest. And I said, what's going on? I said, what is it? And he said, Where's my red ribbon? He says, because I was looking for a red ribbon all morning. He said, but I knew when I got here and saw D, I was going to get one. Isn't that something, LaJoy? Oh, beautiful. I, I tell you. So if you look on our website, you can see all from Congress all the way down to city council, all the way down to the community board leaders. They wear their red ribbons. They understand what keeping HIV and AIDS in the forefront uh, uh, of our struggle is all about. And they know that we're here until there's a cure. <laughs> right on. And then Sunday is Black AIDS Sunday. Yes. All our churches are going to be discussing HIV and AIDS, getting getting people tested, spreading the word, giving the statistics out to let people know AIDS ain't over. I always say it all the time, and I'll say it just like that. It's not over. People are not talking about it as much, but guess what? We are. And we know that if we use our clergy to be our messages on a particular day and every Sunday, we know that we expect to get a difference in the way it's received. Like I said, we've done great work, but we're consistent. And there are certain days of the year where we really try to explode this message and take it as far as we can go. So we're going to be doing that and want everybody to know that February 7th is the official National Black HIV AIDS Awareness Day. Testing Day too, isn't it? Excuse me? Isn't it National Testing Day? No, it's National Black. HIV AIDS Awareness Day, February 7th. National Testing Day is June 27th. Okay. Yeah. December, World AIDS Day, and so forth and so on. But every day is National Testing Day. <laughs> Come on. Every so day. important. I'm going to have the flyer below and the information for your activities and how people can contact you directly at your organization if they'd like to get involved, if they want to duplicate it in their cities. This is God's work for real. D. Bailey, 
You are a treasure trove of information. Thank you for being and maintaining and standing on the front line for all of us. Appreciate you. Joyce, thank you so very much, and thank you for keeping, keeping, keeping your people informed. I just think it is wonderful, and keep doing what you're doing. And I hope you'll have me back. <laughs> will, how about June 27th for the June okay. 27th? We'll do it then. To it, God willing, I look forward to it. <laughs> all right, my darling, thank you so much for being here. That's all we have for you today. I want to take my team. Christopher Green, technical producer, IW supervising producer, Gene Riggs, composer of our theme song, and DJ MD, announcer. And remember to let your eyes shine, cut back on the wine, get good food fast, and hope to see all Until next time, I'm Dr. LaJoyce Brookshire, here to help you, I tell you, you're a perfect help. Let's do it again next week, okay? Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.